Our mindless bowls of soup and rice pudding. And we'll all be round and merry. How wonderful. Um, Laura, you're back from Colombia. Nice to see you. Alright, um, good to hear about the holy dinner. Uh, well done to the, the Rachels and any volunteers who went from um, evening service. It does feel like there are things at this church that like morning people do, and there are things that evening people do. And uh, alright, anyhow. But it feels like, doesn't matter if you're young and you're just starting out in your career, get involved in child sponsorship, get involved in helping one of these kids rescued from a life of sex slavery, who's instead given an education, loving parents. You know, some of these kids have been rescued as little girls, have now gone through university and are like doing good in India. And you think of the lives that they would have lived if they had not been rescued. The book of James, it says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Okay? So this is kind of like 101 Christianity. If you, if this is like a course requirement if you want to pass. No, that didn't work. But you know what I mean. Like, like, you want to be giving to your local church and you want to be giving to the poor. Right? Every single one of us should have an edge of our life that is concerned with the poor and giving to those in need. Okay? That is, that is gospel prerogative, right? That's just a priority that we care about the least in the world, okay? That's what we want to be known for. Like, if we're going to be known for things, let's be known that, you know, I agree with what Chris said, that we carry the presence of God. But if you carry the presence of God, what are you going to do? You're going to look after the poor! Hey! Alright, here we go. Let's move on. One of the things I have loved in this series on the Holy Spirit uh, is we've been tracing these ideas through the scriptures, uh, particularly this idea, obviously, of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit was there in creation. Uh, he he, he, he uh, manifests on people for certain tasks and for certain skills. And then there's this promise that um, all will receive the Spirit of God and a new heart. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And then at Pentecost, and, you know, so you follow these ideas all the way through the scriptures. And if you want to get into the Bible, that's a really great thing to do. Sometimes it's hard to know how do you get started. And, and I just encourage you, follow a theme. Um, think of the theme of the shepherd, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. King David is a shepherd who becomes king, who is still called to shepherd his people. In Ezekiel, it talks about where have all the shepherds of Israel gone, right? They've enriched themselves and they're no longer looking after the people of God. And then God promises in Ezekiel that I myself will come and be a shepherd to the people of God. And then Jesus turns up, John 10, what does he say? He says, I am the good shepherd. You know, and there's that I am language, which is the language that only God himself used. I am who I am. And then he goes into the church. You know, we, if you're a leader, you're called to be a good shepherd of the flock. So if you want to get into the Bible, follow themes and threads all the way through. You can do that with priests or kings, or you can do it with uh, themes like the vineyard or light. And you can just trace it all the way through the scriptures. And what we often find is it comes together astonishingly, always in the person of Jesus Christ. 
But then that theme is to continue into the church and into our lives together. So do that. Or don't do it. Whatever. You know, it's, it's, really, it's up to you. Okay, the one, the one that I want to speak on today is presence. Is presence. Gordon Fee used to say, presence is the sweetest word. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone through great mourning or difficulty, but the thing that you often long for is just the presence of another. It's just pre- presence is a sweet, sweet word. So we're going to look at the presence of God today, and particularly as it relates to how does God dwell on earth. So we're going to go through the Bible, tracing this idea. And then if we get some time, we'll think about some implications for how we live our lives and how we gather together in worship. Does that sound good? I think these are my favourite types of sermons, just following a theme through the scripture. Now, of course, the Bible starts and ends with God himself being present amongst his people. There he is in the beginning of Genesis, walking in the garden with Adam. And then you go all the way to the very end of the Bible, from page one or two to the very last one or two pages. And in Revelation 21, it says this, verse 3. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Okay? So God dwelling amongst his people is there from the beginning to the end. But I guess what we're interested in tonight is what happens in between those times, and particularly the time we live in right now. Because I'm going to you, but I want to know the presence of God. If his, if his manifest presence is available to you and I, Surely that is something that we should be pursuing and hungering for and wanting in our own lives and in our church meetings. And that's what I think we're after. We want to walk with God. We want to be his people who enjoy his presence. And that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. It's the kind of church that I feel privileged to lead. It's an exciting place to be. You come on Sunday and you don't know what's going to happen. Because the presence of God is here. And Pete spoke on that last week. He encouraged us that when we are a church full of love and full of life and full of worship, God comes and he meets with his people. So here's the verse I want to focus on today, and then we're going to look at everything that leads up to this reality. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? God's Spirit dwells in your midst, our midst right here tonight. Ephesians 2, 21 to 22, giving some more insights into this. The Apostle Paul talking about Jesus and how he wants to build his church and how he's going to do that through history. He says, in him, in Jesus, the whole building, that's you and me, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I mean, this is mind-boggling stuff. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. 
So that's the image that the, the, the church, that the, the first disciples and apostles of Jesus wanted to see established here on earth. That is you and me who follow Jesus, who have been filled with his Holy Spirit, that we are being built together into something like a temple full of living stones, constituted by the fact that each one of us, you and you and you and you and you, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and therefore we host his presence when we gather together. Are you with me? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. Gordon Fee puts it this way, the New Testament scholar. He says, God himself, by the Spirit, has chosen to be present in our world in the gathered church. Okay? He says, talking, uh, not, not so much about the 1 Corinthians verse, but the Ephesians one. This is big. He says this. He says, the church, as the new temple, is the present place of God's habitation on our planet. Get your head around that, right? So when we gather together, when we do this church thing, 9.35 o'clock, churches all over Sydney, all across the world, what is happening when we gather and worship Him is this is the place of God's presence manifesting here on earth. Now, not the actual building. I love this building. We got given this building by the Baptist denomination. We love it. It's got a few issues. <laughs> Don't stand too close to that back wall. Been crumbling a little bit. We'll start one of those funds with one of those thermometers soon and we'll put them away. Yeah, I love this building. This is a beautiful building. It's a great place to come together. But, but it's not, that's not the church. The vision of the church is that you and I, living stones, a place to host the presence of God. Now that's why I talked two weeks ago and Pete talked last week about when we meet, manifestations of God's presence and power become evident to those who come together to worship. Right? God is here. God is in the midst. And wouldn't you say through this series, we've had some times of worship, some times of ministry, where the Lord's presence has just been manifest and His glory has dwelt amongst us. So we should expect God-like things to happen when we meet. And we're going to get to that later on in this message. Uh, how do we most understand the God things that might happen when we meet? Well, of course, we look to Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, for what it looks like when God dwells fully in a human being and manifests in power. Amen? All right, we're going to get to that. Let's do some biblical theology. If you've got your Bibles, you may want to follow along. It's going to be a bit of a, a rabbit trail and a bit of a race through things. But I think you're going to find it helpful. All right, Old Testament, time before Jesus. There was an actual temple that God's glory was found in. Um, but previous to Solomon building the temple, there are glimpses through the biblical story of God coming to dwell amongst his people. Um, for instance, Moses and the tent of meeting. Uh, Moses could inquire of the Lord. And this is in Exodus. God has rescued them from slavery. He's taking them to the promised land. And they literally have a tent which hosts the presence of God that they carry with them. It's called the tabernacle. 
Uh, Exodus 33, verse 14, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Again, Leviticus 26, 11 and 12, God promises this, I will put my dwelling among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. So that's the promise, that God will dwell amongst his people. So in the story of God's people, we then get to 1 Kings, um, the people of God having finally entered the promised land, city of Jerusalem, King David, and then his son Solomon dedicates most of his life to the building of the temple. Uh, if you're into the details, 1 Kings 6 is your place. Very elaborate plans for exactly how the temple was to be built. And, and it's this place where the priests of God will make sacrifices and meet with God and inquire of him on behalf of the people. Okay? So it finally gets built. Uh, then something happens at the end of the building. 1 Kings 8, 10 to 11, it says this. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. The glory of the Lord filled his temple. Okay, keep that one in the back of your mind. But can you imagine that? They've built this, like, much bigger than this building. It, it was the centre of Jerusalem. This incredible building, and then the day of its consecration, a cloud of glory fills into the place. Okay? 2 Chronicles 7 2. It says, The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when that happens, they, they even try and get close and they're just overwhelmed and they fall back under the weight of the glory of God, right? Okay? But of course, it doesn't really work as a dwelling place for God. It's just a building, it's at the whims of being overtaken and desecrated by foreign armies. And tragically, that's what happens, okay? They get all that way in their journey, they get the temple built, and then because of their unfaithfulness, they lose the temple of God and they come under judgment. In Ezekiel 9, the prophet says to them this, he says, The sins of the people of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, the land is full of bloodshed, and the city is full of injustice. And then tragically, in the next chapter we read, that the glory of the Lord departs the temple. Do you guys know this story? We all need to, we, I mean, I need to go back to Sunday school a bit to learn this stuff as well. But the glory of the Lord literally departs the temple. Uh, to my mind, it's one of the most tragic moments in all of the Old Testament. It, 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 it's, it's, it, it's, it's the great moment of sadness for the people of God. Can you imagine? You're God's people. He's rescued you from slavery in Egypt. He's driven out your enemies. He's given you the promised land. He's given you the law that is meant to give life to you and your families. But then because of your unfaithfulness, the presence of God departs. Right? Just like that. The glory of the Lord is gone. And then that temple, first temple, is actually destroyed by the conquering Babylonians a few decades on. But this is where biblical theology begins to get excited, right? Tracing a theme. 
Because what happens in the Old Testament is all a foreshadow of what's to come. It's a foreshadow of what's to come. So the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 26, he says, I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. And then what happens? Then what happens? Well, nothing happens for a long, long time. You know, in the story of God's people, there's just this period of what seems like silence and different waves of conquering armies and exile and captivity. But then something remarkable occurs. This should get us out of our seats and singing. We read something remarkable in John's Gospel. It's a truth that the, the Gospel writer John said we need to behold, right? That's an exclamation word. It's like, behold what's about to occur. Alright? It's changed history. It's a huge point upon which all of history depends. John 1, 14. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. Come on. It says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Come on. Glory has come to dwell amongst us. Glory has come to pitch its tent in our midst. When we look at the Word made flesh, He is full of grace and truth. Isn't that what the world needs? Grace and truth. Dwelling. Glory. I love these words. All the words from the ancient story that we've been looking at. So if you want to understand Jesus, it's all here, right? It's the story of God's presence coming to dwell with mankind. God pitching his head amongst us in the flesh. And his name is Jesus. And it says we've seen his glory. In Jesus, the same glory that rushed into the temple and the priests were overwhelmed is the same glory that fills Jesus and allows him to move in power and to manifest God in our midst. Are you with me? I love the Greek word for dwelling we find here in John 1. It's eskenosin. Uh, it's often translated as dwelling, but, but, but the more accurate translation is tabernacling, right? It's the same word for the tent that Moses and the people of God carried through the desert on the way to the promised land, carrying the presence of God. So if we want to understand Jesus, if you've been dragged along here tonight and thought, why do these people follow Jesus? This is why. When he heals the sick, that is God's glory dwelling amongst us. When he has mercy on the broken, that is God's glory dwelling in our midst. When he teaches with grace and truth, that is God's glory on display for the world to see. When Jesus goes to the cross, and John will say this, he'll use that word behold again, he will say this Man hanging on a cross, taking the sins of the world, is the ultimate display of God's glory for all humanity. 
so to know Jesus is to know glory. It is to know God. So what has all this got to do with the series on the Holy Spirit? <laughs> What's all this got to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, what did Jesus say in John 14 when he said he was going to go away to the Father? He says, I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you the spirit of truth. You'll know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. He will be in you. Okay? Right. I mean, this is mind-boggling stuff. This is mind-boggling stuff. The God of glory who filled the temple, the God of glory whose spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism, the promise is that that glory, his spirit, is now going to dwell in you and me. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. 2 Corinthians 3.18. How, how do some of these verses now come alive for you? Okay? 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Right? We are that that's the, the Christian life. That's the Christian journey. Is that we get transformed from glory to glory, made more in the likeness of Jesus our Saviour, as we are filled more and more with His Holy Spirit, as His glory, as His Spirit comes to fill us. That is how transformation occurs within our lives. So the glory that entered the temple, the glory that was on display in Jesus, the goal of the Christian life is that this kind of glory is what will transform us. We will be changed, it says. Let me just repeat it one more time. I want to, I want to make sure this is really in me tonight. If I, if I hope it gets in you, but I need to hear this, okay? If you wanted to meet God in the Old Testament, you would go to the temple as fleeting and imperfect as that was. If you wanted to meet God 2,000 years ago, you could have met him in and around Jerusalem in the person of Jesus Christ. But if people want to meet God today, this is the mind-boggling, staggering claim that the Apostle Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He reminds us that it happens here in the gathered church. That this is the place of the dwelling of the glory of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So let me read 1 Corinthians 3.16 again with all of that in our minds, okay? It says, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? That's why church is the most exciting place to be in the world. Okay? Because God's glory, as he's building us into a temple, his spirit is dwelling in our midst. Does that make more sense now as we've done a bit more of the story? But friends, that is who we are as the church. That is who we are. We're not a social club where to make friends, though I hope you make friends. We're not a charitable good society, though I hope you're generous and, and, and do charitable works, right? We're not just a, a Jesus admiration club where we're studying a historic figure who said some exciting things. Listen to Gordon Fee again. He says, God himself, by the Spirit, has chosen to be present in our world in the gathered church. This is where it happens. 
This is where it happens. And that's why Jesus' things should happen in our midst. Healing should occur. Prophetic words should occur. Acts of great compassion and mercy should occur. Teaching of truth should occur. Encouragement should occur. Because this is where God dwells with his people. Alright, I've been overexcited tonight. <laughs> I think we're going to do some more on this next week because I want to stop. You know, 1 Corinthians 6 goes on to challenge us in living lives of purification in the knowledge that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So I think we should do some stuff on that next week, right? If that's true, you're a living stone. You're a living stone. And God wants to fill you. If you're a temple of his Holy Spirit, then obviously he wants us to live pure, set-apart, transformed, changed lives, okay? So we might do some more work on that next week, on the refining work of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. But I want to finish today on where all of this has really been pointing, and that is that when we gather, it should be an experience of the glory of God manifesting in our midst. And that's why it's so important that you come and you come ready to play. Right? You don't come as an audience member or sitting on your seat. You come as a living stone who God by His Spirit has filled so that this temple can be built which is a dwelling place for the Lord. You've got stuff to do. That's why you should be coming at the end of every service. You should be looking for opportunities to go pray for someone. To, to, to write someone a check who's in need, to, to encourage someone, to befriend someone who is lonely, to, to, to use the gifts that God has given us. Bill Johnson from Bethel Church, Redding, California, he's famous for a line. He says, We owe the world an encounter with God. Isn't that good? We owe the world an encounter with God. Why don't we stand together?